and welcome to Season 3 of Wait a Week Mystery. I'm your host and author, J.C. Bodden. In this week's podcast, I'll be reading to you a chapter from my novel, Not on My Watch, which is the third book in the Devlin O'Quinn mystery series. If you like what you hear and can't wait a week for the next chapter, Not on My Watch, as well as the other three books in the series, is available in both Kindle and paperback format from Amazon. Please visit my website, jcbodden.com. There's a link in the podcast info. There you can find information about ordering the books. Now, let's not wait any longer. Here we go with episode 302, Not On My Watch, Chapter 2. The reporter managed to hold Devlin's gaze for a full 30 seconds before looking down at his notebook. Devlin stared at the young man for several more before moving or speaking. When he did speak, his tone was so mild and quiet that he might have been speaking to a child. I beg your pardon? Blake glanced up from his notebook and narrowed his eyes. Devlin O'Quinn was a former football hero, decorated marine, and a hard-nosed crime-solving cop. He was athletic, handsome, charismatic, well-spoken, respected by all who knew him. Blake Black had assumed he knew enough about the man to understand him. But of all the reactions Blake had anticipated, this one was not on the list. He had been prepared for ranting, accusations, being thrown out of the man's office, stammering justifications, certainly, blistering doublespeak, of course, shady evasions, naturally. Such behavior would not have surprised him, and it would have made his story that much more interesting and salacious. He wasn't sure what to make of this calm O'Quinn. He cleared his throat. Did you fatally shoot the drunk driver who killed your wife? This time Devlin answered immediately, still completely in control of his emotions and voice. Kenneth James was convicted of manslaughter in the death of my wife. He served six months in jail. Shortly after his release, he was involved in illegal drug activity. My partner, Roger Dubose, and I were serving an arrest warrant. Mr. James was shot and killed at that time. I did not shoot him. Officer Dubose did. Blake leaned forward in his chair, still hoping to salvage some of his story. Did Officer Dubose shoot Mr. James to protect human life? Certainly, Devlin answered without hesitation. James drew his weapon. Roger shot him to prevent James from firing. And you were there? Yes, I was. Was James's gun fired? No, it was not. Who was in James's line of fire? I was. Did you draw your weapon? Yes, I did. But you did not fire your weapon? No, I did not. And so it was Officer Du Bois, not you, that fatally shot James? That's correct. Roger fatally shot James as James drew his weapon and took aim at me. Blake paused as he flipped to another page in his notebook. He decided to try a different angle. Four years ago, when your daughter was abducted by an officer with the campus police, someone else shot him dead. Devlin narrowed his eyes before he answered, but his tone remained steady. Yes, Carrie Wagner was also fatally shot. By Officer Patrick Borden. Yes, Patrick Borden fired the fatal shot. Another shot was fired? Several shots were fired, both by Borden and his partner, Jake Hunter. One of Borden's was ruled the fatal shot. In this case, Wagner's weapon had been fired before he was shot. 
Yes, in fact, he had fired his gun three times. Once at your daughter, a shot that missed. Yes. And once at you, wounding you in the abdomen. Yes. And once wounding the man who later became your son-in-law. Well, that's not the correct order, but yes, Wagner fired his gun three times. What was the order? First Joe, then Jenny, then me. Blake paused for a moment. This was where he went in for the kill. He took a breath and continued in a soft voice. Has it occurred to you, Chief O'Quinn, that those who harm your family have a way of ending up dead? Devlin stood and walked around his desk and opened his office door. Blake stayed in his chair, looking up at the chief of police. Devlin held the door open and spoke very quietly, his face a pleasant but inscrutable mask. I'm sure you understand, Mr. Black, that my duties this morning are very pressing. I'm looking forward to working closely with you and your newspaper in the future. Please feel free to stop by any time. Blake closed his notebook and jabbed his pencil behind his ear before he stood. It occurred to him that, like the lion that brings down only one out of every ten attempted kills, he had badly misjudged his quarry. Chief O'Quinn, he began. Devlin continued to study the younger man, one eyebrow raised questioningly, but otherwise his face was expressionless. Blake paused and then continued. Chief, I, I meant no disrespect. As a matter of fact, he realized, he had more respect for the man now than he had ever thought possible. He extended his hand, and after the shortest of hesitations, Devlin shook it. Thank you for your time this morning. After he closed the door, Devlin stepped into the small bathroom adjacent to his office and threw up in the toilet. It had taken every ounce of his control to keep from leaping across the desk and beating the living shit out of the reporter. All of that adrenaline had to go somewhere. He was washing his hands when Teresa knocked on the office door and came in. Boss, she started and then stopped short. She looked at him carefully. Are you okay? Devlin cupped his hand in the running water and took a sip, which he swirled vigorously around his mouth before spitting back out. Then he wiped his mouth and his hands with a paper towel and nodded. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. You look a little pale, Teresa said uncertainly. Yeah, well, I'm a redhead. I'm always pale, he quipped. Teresa crossed her arms and glared at her new boss without saying a word. Devlin glanced at her expression and continued in a conciliatory tone. I'm fine, really. Thanks. Just a little stomach upset. I must have picked up a bug. What's up? Teresa looked at him for a moment more and then answered. I was just checking on your progress on that paperwork from this morning. Devlin nodded and went to his desk. Here you go, Teresa. Thank you. He handed her the stack of work he had completed. There were still nearly as much in the unfinished pile. She took the papers from him and smiled tentatively, still unsure what to think. As she closed the door to his office, Devlin sat at his desk, his head in his hands. Police Chief Saves Son-in-Law from Dog Attack Auburn's newly appointed Chief of Police, Timothy Devlin O'Quinn, had to fire his weapon yesterday, the day his appointment as Chief was announced to the press. At a celebration held at his home, hosted by his daughter and sister-in-law, O'Quinn's grandson was threatened by a vicious dog. When the child's father, Joe Halliday, picked him up, the dog attacked Halliday. Seeing that the dog would not release Halliday's arm, Chief O'Quinn drew his weapon and fired twice into the animal, killing it instantly. The only justification for a police officer to discharge a weapon is the protection of human life, said Chief O'Quinn when asked about the incident. Witnesses said that it appeared that the dog, estimated at over 60 pounds, was not going to let go of Halliday, whose arm was broken in the attack. 
The body of the dog has been sent to Montgomery for rabies testing. The owner of the dog has not come forward. Calls for a citywide ban of pit bulls, the apparent breed of the dog in this attack, have come from several witnesses and concerned citizens. Considering the uncomfortable conversation between Devlin and Blake, the article in the paper was fairly straightforward. In fact, an editorial praised Devlin's quick action in killing the dog and expressed the hope that other crimes would be treated with the same sure and swift law enforcement during his tenure as chief. It seemed that everything was going to be all right, at least for now. Devlin had a hunch that the honeymoon wouldn't last long. Shortly after he read the article, he called Larry Johnson, a respected assistant district attorney in town. Hey, Larry. Devlin O'Quinn. Yes, Devlin. Congratulations on the chief's position. Sorry to read about that dog thing. That was scary. Yeah, yeah, it was. Your son-in-law okay? Yeah, he's fine. Thanks for asking. Listen, I'm sorry to bother you at home this evening. No problem, Devlin. What can I do for you? Well, I need to hire a lawyer, and I was wondering if I could get a recommendation from you. Sure. What kind of representation do you need? Oh, just some family business that I need to take care of, wills and that sort of thing, now that the grandkids are here. You know of anyone maybe over in Montgomery? Someone with some criminal experience, even? Someone that I, um, wouldn't have had any contact with around here? There was a long pause on the other end of the line. Devlin knew that Larry was too smart to be fooled by his casual tone, but too good a friend to pry. Well, yes, as a matter of fact, I do know of a really good attorney who works out of Montgomery, Elliot Kingfisher. Been out of law school a few years, has set up shop close to downtown, does mostly criminal work, but will take on just about anything. I've been hearing really good things. Elliot Kingfisher? That's an interesting name. Yeah, Native American Cherokee, I believe. Anyway, like I said, I've heard good things. Great, thanks, Larry. This is a big help. Hey, sure, Devlin, you're welcome. And congratulations again on your new job, Chief. Seriously, you're the best man for the job. Let me know if I can help you again. Sure, Larry, I will. Take care and say hey to Mary for me. Thanks, Devlin, I'll do that. Bye now. After Devlin hung up the phone, he turned to his computer and Googled Elliot Kingfisher. Satisfied that this attorney had a decent court record, he scribbled the office number down on a scrap of paper and stuck it in his wallet. The next day he called and made an appointment for the following Monday afternoon. The secretary sounded pleasant enough, but Devlin was mildly concerned that the appointment was a little too easy to make. Maybe this Kingfisher guy didn't have enough clients to be considered a good lawyer. On the other hand, Devlin realized that it was entirely possible that Larry had alerted his friend that he would be calling. At least, Devlin told himself, he was being proactive and retaining outside counsel before it became absolutely necessary. Devlin spent Monday morning meeting with the mayor and police chief of Montgomery. With only 45 miles of interstate highway separating the two towns, it made sense that establishing communications early in his new job as chief would be a good idea. After lunch at a small sandwich shop, Devlin went to the address for Elliot Kingfisher's office. It was in an older section of town, not too far from the capital. Originally a private home, the building had been sectioned off into two office suites. Still, with its gabled roof and stately front porch, it managed to keep some of its original charm. Inside the reception room of Kingfisher's office, a young, dark-haired woman sat behind the desk, sipping sweet tea through a straw. She set the plastic cup down and smiled when Devlin stepped through the front door. May I help you, sir? 
Yes, I'm Devlin O'Quinn. I have an appointment with Elliot Kingfisher at one o'clock. Yes, sir, Chief O'Quinn. Please have a seat. It will be just one moment. Devlin sat in the indicated armchair beside a rather overgrown potted plant, mildly surprised that the woman had called him Chief O'Quinn. He was still not accustomed to the designation. He nervously adjusted his tie. Behind him, he could hear the secretary buzzing her boss's office. Your one o'clock appointment is here, Elliot. After the briefest of pauses, she said, Yes, okay. She looked up from her phone. Elliot is just finishing lunch. You're welcome to go on in. Devlin stood and nodded to the woman before stepping into the office beside her desk. As he pulled the door shut behind him, he looked up to see a tall woman stepping around the desk, her hand extended. Hello, Mr. O'Quinn, she said with a warm smile. Or should I call you Chief O'Quinn? Devlin smiled and shook her hand. Um, actually, I'd prefer Devlin if you don't mind, he said as he glanced around the room looking for Elliot. The woman smiled and nodded. Devlin, good, okay, well, it's good to meet you. I'm Elliot Kingfisher. Please have a seat. She indicated the chair facing the desk, and as he sat, she took the one on the other side. She smoothed her bangs back from her forehead and smiled again. She was breathtakingly beautiful. Her dark hair was pulled into a loose bun at the base of her head. Her large eyes were dark and expressive. Her skin glowed, and a gorgeous smile lit her face. High cheekbones gave her a dramatic, exotic look. Devlin remembered that Larry had said Kingfisher was a Cherokee name. You'll have to forgive me, she was saying. I just finished eating here at my desk. A working lunch, you might say. I hope I don't have lettuce or anything in my teeth. Devlin shook his head as she smiled again. So, Chief, I mean, Devlin, what is it that I can do for you? Devlin O'Quinn was not the kind of man who was easily surprised. After all, he hadn't gotten where he was today by being caught off guard very often and he prided himself on his ability to read people quickly and easily. It was a skill that he depended on as a detective. But the fact that Elliot Kingfisher, attorney at law, was arguably the most beautiful woman he had ever seen had thrown him an unexpected curve. He sat completely speechless for several seconds. I can see that Larry didn't tell you everything about me, Elliot said with a slight laugh. He sure as hell didn't tell me you were a woman, Devlin blurted out and immediately regretted it. Elliot laughed again. I hope that doesn't change your opinion of me. Devlin ran his fingers through his straight red hair and for the first time since he was a teenager wished he didn't blush quite so furiously. No, no, that's not it at all. I just, it's just, with a name like Elliot, I obviously assume something I shouldn't have. He looked at her and shrugged sheepishly. He wasn't accustomed to being so completely befuddled. It wasn't just her name that had him grasping for something halfway intelligent to say. His attraction to her was instantaneous and nearly overwhelming. He cleared his throat. It had been a long time since a woman had flabbergasted him this way. It's okay, really. I get this reaction all the time, she smiled. I blame it totally on my father. He's the one who named me Elliot. He said it was a man's world and he wanted to make sure I was taken seriously in it. It could be worse. My sister's given name is Leonard, although she goes by Lynn. But I've always gone by Elliot. Seriously, though, most people are surprised the first time they meet me. I'm sorry, really I am, Devlin stammered, still embarrassed at his reaction. I'm usually not this much of an idiot, really. It's okay, Chief. Forget about it. Just tell me why you want to hire me. After all, this meeting is on your dollar. She smiled again as she opened a notepad and picked up a pen. She sat expectantly as she watched his emotions flicker across his face. 
She was used to men being distracted because of her looks. Instead of finding it annoying, she had learned how to use it to her advantage. But in Devlin O'Quinn's case, she could tell he was pushing the distraction aside. There was something else on this man's mind, something serious. She watched his eyes, his body language carefully. He found himself noticing her hands. The long, slender fingers were without rings, and the well-manicured nails cut short with simple, clear polish. He cleared his throat again as he pulled at his tie and leaned forward in his chair, desperate to focus on something, anything, but the beautiful woman sitting across from him. Um, yeah, I needed to talk to someone about my will, he started, frowning at his own fingers, noting the ragged cuticles. Elliot sat very still, her pen poised above the paper. She knew this was a lie. It was there in his eyes, or rather, in the fact that his eyes couldn't meet hers. She waited for several seconds before she put the pen back down. Chief O'Quinn, I've known Larry Johnson all my life. He and my father were classmates in law school. He called me and told me to expect your call. He also told me a bit about you, and that you mentioned a will, but, let's be honest, you've been a police officer as well as a single father for more than twenty-five years. You're not a stupid man. You've already got a will. And even if you needed a new one now, for whatever reason, you wouldn't come all the way to Montgomery to find an attorney that specializes in criminal law draw one up for you. She paused and smiled gently at Devlin, and then continued quietly. It's okay. Whatever you need, I can help you. Trust me. I'm good at my job. Let me do it. She was accustomed to having clients who were reluctant to confide in her, although she wondered what on earth could have a man like Devlin O'Quinn in such a knot. Devlin hunched forward in his chair, his elbows on his knees, and looked down at his shoes. He nodded. She was good, he told himself. Highly recommended. And quick. Still, he couldn't look at her. He could concentrate better when he wasn't looking into those amazing eyes. He had to focus on the reason for this visit. He was about to tell this woman something that he had never told anyone. He approached it carefully. The day I was appointed as chief of police, I shot and killed a dog that was attacking my grandson and son-in-law at a party at my house where I had been drinking. She had watched the debate he was having with himself and knew this wasn't the issue. Still, it was a start. Were you on duty at the time the alcohol was consumed? No. Have charges been filed? No. Has the dog owner come forward? No. Is your internal affairs department investigating the incident? No. Okay, so far so good. What else? She felt like a therapist. He took a deep breath and continued, without raising his eyes from his shoes. Four years ago, my daughter Jenny was abducted, and in the process of her rescue, the abductor was shot and killed. Yes, I know about that. Now Devlin looked up quickly. The internet, Elliot shrugged and smiled. As painful as this was, it wasn't the main event either. Devlin nodded and looked back down. A frown crossed his features as he spoke. Twenty-six years ago, my wife was killed by a drunk driver, when Jenny was only seven months old. His voice choked with emotion, and he took a moment to regain his composure before he continued. Elliot knew that this was it, the thing that had brought him to her. She held her breath. When the bastard got out of jail, he was shot and killed by my partner in the course of a drug arrest. Devlin sighed heavily and ran his fingers through his hair. Last week, a reporter came to my office supposedly to interview me about the dog shooting, but he also asked me about Jenny's abductor and Tess's murderer. At the end of the interview, he pointed out to me that everyone who harms my family winds up dead. Devlin finally looked up from his shoes, his intense gaze drilling into Elliot's eyes. 
The anguish on his face caught her by surprise, and she felt her throat close. Here was the issue, the thing that had brought him to her. She leaned forward and asked gently, Why did you come here today, Chief O'Quinn? Why do you need me? He held her gaze as he whispered, Because he's right. This concludes this week's chapter of Not On My Watch. Thanks so much for listening. To find out what happens next, please come back for episode 303 of Wait A Week Mystery, or you could visit jcbodden.com to order the book. Either way, I hope your wait is a happy one.